0: And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee. And John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Kind of an interesting scene as Jesus is walking by the sea. Ashley got to go to Sea of Galilee last year. Very beautiful. And as you're walking down, just picture Jesus seeing these two guys in the midst of casting their net to catch fish. And as he sees these two men, Jesus knows that these are supposed to be his disciples, the ones that are supposed to follow him. And in those culture, in in that day, in that culture, discipleship was a very common thing. If you wanted to learn from a rabbi, it's not like you could just bring home textbooks and study. You just followed a rabbi. You would stay with him, you would live with him and thus become disciples. And so Jesus calling them, they knew exactly what that meant that they were to be followers of the great rabbi, Jesus Christ. But Jesus calls them in the midst of what they were doing, in the middle of their work. And I think of the times that I've had blessed interruptions in my life. I remember last year, I was, I think I was at church, and Andy Dean texted me saying, meet me at Manhattan Bagel in in five minutes. And I'm like, okay, I didn't even know he was in New Jersey. That's the way that he kind of works. He doesn't let me know ahead of time that he's going to be around. He just texts me when he's in the area. Hey, meet me in five minutes. Oh, okay. So it was a blessed interruption. I had to drop every single thing I was doing at the time, but it was a blessing to do that. Think about when Jeffron showed up in my philosophy class without telling me or telling anybody. Just walk into class and Jeffron's sitting in the class. What the heck? What are you doing here? It was a blessed interruption. One of the best things I remember in high school, one of my favorite things, not sure if it's this, this way still. You walk into a classroom and the lights are dim and there's a blue light. And you know you're watching a movie. A blessed interruption. Not going to have class. We're just going to watch a movie. Or a snow day. Perhaps you wake up and you see snow and you did not expect snow. A blessed interruption. And in these instances, the blessing that you receive by the surprise far outweighs the pain of a disrupted routine. In all these instances, whether a friend shows up unexpected, whether you have a snow day and you're not able to complete your work or assignments, you have to do a makeup day, the joy of what you experience in the moment is far better than losing track of time, getting behind on your work, or whatever else. And as Jesus called these people in Matthew chapter 4, he was interrupting the work of Peter and John to call them into the work of the ministry. In other words, they had to stop what they were doing and do what God was calling them to do. Think about that. They had a job. They had an occupation. A fisherman. That's how they made their living. But Jesus wanted them to do something very, very different, which is instead of actually fishing for fish, you're fishing for men. And that is not to say that being a fisherman was bad. That's not to say that what they were doing was wrong, sinful, or anything other than it was not what God intended them to do. It is to say that there was more that God had called them to. So they had a choice. They could submit to God's mission of their life, or they could completely ignore it and go on about their task and do whatever it is that they were doing before. One of the blessed interruptions I've had is that God called me in the midst of what I was doing. I had, you know, been doing, uh, helping out with the youth ministry for a number of years. And uh, as I was helping out with the youth ministry, I was getting my degree at Monmouth University, doing public relations and whatnot. And I was doing an internship for Algonquin Arts Theater, working on... Whatever else they had me do as a social media intern. I also collected newspaper clippings and whatever else you did with public relations, which m- most of you don't even care or know. But Andy called me and he said, Hey, you want to meet up for dinner? And he never calls me to hang out with him. Some of you might feel that way too. Like if I ask you to hang out, you're like, Am I in trouble? And that's what I thought. Literally, he called me saying, Hey, let's get dinner. And I'm like, I did something wrong. So I'm driving, it's like, it's in Manasquan, it's about 40 minutes away. And as I'm driving, The whole way, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? Lord, if I've sinned, just show me what that is. And, like, I'm just repenting the whole way, feeling guilty. And then I show up, and I go in crispy pizza, and we're eating. And he's just like, well, you probably figured by now that uh, I didn't just call you here for any reason just because I want to hang out. I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. I don't know what he did. And he's like, well, I want you to take the junior high position. And when he said that to me, that that wasn't even – That wasn't even a thought in my mind. Never in a million years did I ever think that. Nor did I want that. I've actually said in times past that I would never want to work at church. Ever. And the reason being is because I didn't want church to feel like a job. Maybe those of you that go to Christian school, you you feel like sometimes coming to church feels like you're coming to school. You know, I didn't want that feeling. I always wanted it to be fresh and exciting when I came here. Lo and behold, here I am. And I will actually say that I've never once, in five years of working here, I have never once dreaded coming to work. I have never once came here feeling like I just have to be here. I've always enjoyed being here, being with you guys. But that being said, that was an interruption, and and that was something I didn't see in myself. And one of the things that I want to talk about tonight with you guys is is about God's calling on your life. As we're here, and there's only a few of us here, because I know the ladies are over in the the whatchamacallit, the main auditorium, as they're over there and they're fellowshipping and stuff, the guys that show up on a night like this when the ladies aren't here, the guys that show up, you know, and I know there's some things going on. CCS has a debate team that's going out, and there's a dodgeball game and stuff. So there's, there's a lot of things going on. But the guys that still come despite all those things, that, I think that says something. I think that says that no matter where you're at in life, each and every one of you wants to submit to God's calling on your life. And so that's where I just want to take some time this evening to talk about how do you determine what God is calling you to do, how do you submit to that call, and how do you walk worthy of that call? So a couple of simple things before we break out into small groups and and whatever and go about our day. But I think that's really important because you're always trying to discern what is God calling me to do, especially as you're kind of leaving high school and you have to start to think about where am I going to college? You know, I know they want you earlier and earlier to think about these things as a sophomore, as a junior, start filling out, you know, applications, pray about where you want to go and attend school, think about what you want to do for the rest of your life. That's a big question. That's a very committing question too. So here, these two people, Peter and Andrew, they thought they were called to <laughs> they thought they were called to be fishermen, but they had only half of the calling. They to be fishers of men, right? They were to be evangelists and not just providing food for everybody, but spiritual food for people. So that being said, submitting to God's call. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, each and every one of you is God's masterpiece and God has created you for a purpose. Just like if I'm creating a work of art, if I'm writing a song, I'm doing it for a reason. Even if I'm not really sure what I want the song to be about, as I'm writing music, you know, you guys know I I love making music and stuff. The song is about something. When I was in a hardcore band, you know, like my band would all collectively, we would start, um, like the way we wrote songs is kind of weird. Like some people write you know, John Latona write his bass part and Jason Williams write his guitar part. We'd all kind of come together with all these little riffs and stuff. We'd try to uh, put it together. And then my job as the vocalist is to figure out what does this song sound like? What kind of feeling do I get when I listen to the song? And what do I feel like this song could be about? And then I put lyrics to the entire thing to give a cohesiveness. So that was kind of my job and my role. And in thinking about that, we were creating the song for a purpose. We had a goal. It's not like one was intending it to, to be about a girl, because that would just be awkward. We're all going to sing about a girl that you married or like, or it's just weird, you know? We all had a unified goal. We all did for a purpose. In the same way, God created you for a purpose. You're not an accident. You're not the result of the Big Bang exploding, and you just happened to be here in 2015 on a Friday night. Each and every one of you was purposed, and there is meaning to your life. You are God's masterpiece, and because of that, there is something that God is calling you to do. And I think all of us have something that we desire to do, but all of us us have something that we are created to do, and there's a difference. Sometimes the thing that you want to do and the thing that you're created to do are not the same thing. And that's where we have to ask ourselves, is your work and God's call aligned? Are you doing the same thing that God wants you to do? And I think that can be very difficult to figure that out, right? Like just very practically, maybe a lot of you don't understand what you're supposed to be doing with your life. Because the thing that you might be pursuing might be a good thing, but it, not, it might not be the best thing. It may not be what God has for you. Just like Peter and Andrew, they're doing a good thing, but it wasn't the best thing. David Gutzik is a commentator who notes that a lot of men of God in the Bible were busy in a lawful occupation when God called them to be ministers. In other words, when David was called by God, he was in the middle of keeping his father's sheep. When Saul, the king, was looking for his father's donkeys, he was called to be king. When Moses was tending his father-in-law's flock, he was called by the burning bush to rescue the people of Israel. And with me, there was a time in, in where I really believed that I was going to be a musician and that was going to be my calling in life. And there are reasons for that. And I, I can explain a little bit later. But thinking about that, that could have been a very great thing. I still love making music. I still have a passion for it. You know, sometimes you see me do worship and whatever. Like I, I just love creating something. And it's just like, it was a thought, it was an image, you know, like you had this vision of like, what does this sound like? What And then making that almost like painting a picture with notes with keys with synths and whatever and it just all comes together in a cohesive thought and then other people can see what was in your brain that's just what i think about it's really cool um but that was not what god was calling me to do it's not to say that music won't ever be in my life it's still one of my passions but god was calling me to pastor here pastor you guys so if i continue down the road of music imagine I, th- I think about what would have happened if I said no to Andy five years ago. If he asked me, you know, think about, pray about coming on staff. Ashley, you want to know what the biggest difficulty was for me, you know, saying yes to that? The the hardest thing for me to do in saying yes to working at the church was saying I'm quitting Exxon as a gas attendant. That really was the hardest thing because I loved working at Exxon. Because being a gas attendant, you just pump cars and half of the time you're just sitting on your butt and you're, you get to bring your laptop, I get to write music, I get to play video games, like especially on Thanksgiving and stuff, we just bring in an Xbox and we just play video games all day and like no one comes to the gas station, it was great. I loved it because I got paid basically to do nothing and every now and then I could just talk to people and whatever and people are weird but saying no to that. Actually, what's funny is Marvin's gas station no longer has a gas station anymore. It's just a car shop. So he did that, I think, two years ago where he got rid of the the gas station to just keep the shop. And when he did that, I was like, oh, no, I can't ever go back. It's over. But I love doing it. And thinking about that, though, what would have happened if if I didn't say yes? Where would I be right now? Where would you guys be right now? And that's not to say, like, you guys wouldn't be here. Obviously, you'd still be here. But I just wonder what could have happened if I said no and if I had not been obedient to God's call. This is where we have to pay attention to the definition of submission. This is an easy way to remember it. I I learned this from Tim Chaddock at a youth workers conference six years ago, almost seven years ago. Submission means that the mission of God is up here and then you submit, you go underneath the mission of God. You clearly have an idea of what God's mission is, and then you put yourself under his mission. So that means that you bring everything under God's mission, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's the things that you like to do, and you ask, God, is this what you want me to do? Because actually, what you see in John chapter, or not John, Matthew chapter four, is that when Jesus said, Follow me, they had to leave behind. In verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. They left behind all their tools, all the chances of them returning to their former occupation. You know, it's almost like they they sold their tools. They left it behind, and even if they wanted to come back, they didn't have the resources to do it. And we actually know that John actually does pick up fishing later on, and then Jesus meets him and is like, what are you doing? But that's another story. The other person they left was their father in the boat. Do you see that? In verse 21, saw uh, two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's like, imagine like Jesus just walking down the shore, sees these two guys, and like, hey, follow me. Great, I'll do that. Here I go. And they just leave the boat, and dad's like, what are you doing? Come on. you Just leave him by himself, and, like, the boat sank in because he's old or something. I don't know. Can you imagine if it's, like, in, like, a latter part of the verse, it's just, like, and Zebedee died because he was left alone. It would be messed up. That didn't happen, I don't think, but it would be really messed up. The point is that they had to leave something behind. And know this. Everyone pay, pay attention right now because this is important. When God calls you to follow him, there will be things that you have to leave behind. Right, Peter? You have to leave Andrew behind. Alex, Andrew. Oh, gosh, I need coffee. (laughs) Alex, I know that your name's Alex, not Andrew. There are things that you have to leave behind, and that's really important because some of those things you don't want to give up. What's funny, though, is I think any time that my heart grows attached to something, I feel like God takes it away. Not because he doesn't like the things that I have, it's because he loves me too much to let me be consumed by those things. Case in point, I used to love the first car I owned. I owned a Porsche 944, 1983, it was old, it wasn't that expensive, but it was a cool car. I loved 80s cars and I loved Porsches. I don't know what happened there. So it was like this rare metallic blue color drove it all around, everyone loved the car, I loved the car, but it always had problems. And whenever it had problems, no one knew how to fix it because it was an old 80s Porsche. So I would be riddled with problems and and I think back in in that time, I was really into cars. I could tell you the quarter mile times for every single car that was on the street, whether it was a Camry or it was a Mustang, no matter what year it was, I could tell you what the quarter mile times were. So I was really obsessed with cars. So when, and it's funny to talk about that now because I could care less at this point in time. Um, except every now and then when I have friends that have nice cars because then they drive me in them and it's like, oh, wow, it's cool. But anyway, the point being, when my car started being riddled with problems, my, my, I was always anxious. I was always thinking about, oh, what is wrong with my car? I'd be in the shop for like four weeks at a time sometimes because no one could figure out what's the problem. I'm researching online how to fix it myself. I don't know and I have so much anxiety over it and it's almost like God was saying you really care about this? Do you really care about this? And I had to let go and I eventually sold the car and I was free from that burden. I actually drove a Toyota Corolla 1990s Corolla for an entire year after that before I got my Toyota MR2 which I love. So another example is rock climbing. You guys know that I really love rock climbing but none of my friends, it's only me that gets injured all the time. And it would seem that I would always get injured at at the exact moment that I'm ready to train. The moment that I'm like, I wanna start getting good at competitions. I wanna start winning. And so I would train as hard as I could. Times where I would pop tendons. You know, that's something that happens when you're rock climbing, you're just pulling so hard that the pulleys in between your fingers just snap. And so I've had that happen on climbing trips. I would go over to Texas the second day into my trip. I'm pulling hard onto this, this hold, and then you just hear this popping sound, and then I can't use my finger for the rest of the trip, so it was really annoying, and it hurt a lot. Um, time, I, I was climbing a couple months ago, and I popped a tendon in my big toe, like, how does that even happen? I didn't even know you could do that. Last year, I wanted to start training for nationals, for, uh, you know, it's, you guys probably don't even care, but I wanted to train for nationals, so as... Um, for rock climbing and as I was doing that I got a trainer who trains the world the current national champion he was doing like these online courses with me and he was just kind of meeting with me over Skype and whatnot giving me a schedule and program started following that program and guess what happened I developed bad heart palpitations I had to go see a heart doctor and I had to stop training because of all those things that were happening so it seemed like every every time I tried so hard I would hit this roadblock And I wonder sometimes, I would always be so frustrated, like, why didn't it work out? And it was God, because he loves me, keeping me from going down a road I wasn't supposed to go. Same thing with relationships. You know how many times I thank God now that I didn't wind up in certain relationships that I, like, I could have sworn was the perfect relationship for me in high school. And now I look at that person, like, wow, that person's crazy. God protected me and God saved me. So what is it that you have to give up for the Lord? What is it that you have to leave behind? Because oftentimes what you find is you're not leaving much behind at all. Unless it's Zebedee or Dad. In that case, like, you probably should at least let him know that you're leaving. I also want to make a a mention that being a pastor is not the only calling that God has for you. In fact, all of us are called to play a part in the body of Christ. And we're going to see that in Ephesians chapter 4. But, um... I think sometimes people think that God calls you into the ministry or he doesn't call you at all. And that's simply not true. We each have different functions and we all are parts in the body of Christ. And we all have uh, different roles to play. And you just have to know which one is your role. Now, some of you may know your call, but maybe you're running away from God's call. You're like Jonah, who knew what God was telling him to do, but you refused to believe it and you went the opposite direction. Don't be one of those people. Ephesians chapter five, verse 10 says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Okay, so let's talk about determining God's calling. How do you know what God is calling you to do? Well, I'm gonna kind of steal from a book I've been reading called Garden City and give you eight questions that I think are really good questions in determining God's calling your life. So here, here they are, ready? First of all, when determining God's calling on your life, sometimes it's not really like god speaks to you like jesus you know god spoke to moses in the burning bush moses i'm calling you to save the people of israel it doesn't happen that way didn't happen with me i never heard an audible voice not weird i mean not saying that those things don't happen i just don't think they do for the most part i remember uh i was helping out andy with bible college students that went to the bowery mission two years ago And I went up there to be a leader to just kind of help them facilitate some of the Bible college kids. And trying to get to know some Californian kids, I didn't realize how, like, sometimes they're very closed off. Not all of them, but some of them are. And so as I was trying to talk to them, make conversation, I said, so, how did you uh, know that you were called to be in Bible college? They would say, the Lord spoke to me audibly. Like, oh, all right, cool. (laughs) And then it wasn't just one, it was like two people that said that to me. It's like... So what brought you to Bible college? like, the Lord called me by his voice. Like, oh, that's awesome, because he doesn't do that to me, but sweet. So if you're not one of those magical people, how do you determine what God's calling you to do? Well, here's the first question. What is it that you love? What is it that you love to do? Not saying that those things always determine what you're called to do, but it could be a good indicator. I don't think God's going to call you to to be somewhere where you don't love what you're doing. I love hanging out with you guys. I really do. I love being up here preaching. But even more than that, I love spending time with you guys. And I love being able to see God call a lot of you into the ministry that he has you to be in. So I don't think God is going to – here's one of the things that I had as a fear when I was a teenager. I was afraid that God was going to call me to, like, Uganda and be a missionary in this remote part where I'm like about to be like speared by all these Aborigines or something. Like, I, I don't know. I, I had this picture that God is going to call you to do something you don't want to do. And that I don't think is very biblical unless you're Jonah, which is another thing. Okay, number two, what are you good at? What are you good at? Is there, a, is there something that you do that other people notice? wow that's that's pretty good and people start to compliment you on that one thing perhaps that's something that you could use as a vocation that's something that you could be pursuing so is there something not only are you enjoying but is it something that you actually excel at doesn't mean you're the best at it but you seem to do better than most people around you number three here's another one what are you bad at There's nothing wrong in knowing what your weaknesses are. In fact, I think that can be a strength. One of the things that I constantly wanna do is I wanna know my weaknesses better than anybody else. I wanna know my flaws, I wanna know what I'm bad at so that I can work on those things or can stay away from those things. So if you cannot sing, I'm not saying that you don't have like, you know, vocal abilities, you can't sing here. I'm saying like you are tone deaf. And everybody knows it. And people, as you're singing in worship here on a Friday night on a Sunday, people just start going like this and, like, start leaning away and walking away. Perhaps you can check that off, like, on your list and say, I am not called to be a singer. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with saying that I have failed at something that I'm not good at. There's nothing wrong with that. It's better for you to admit that and say, I don't think that what, that's what God what." what God is calling me to do. If you are an introvert, you probably don't have to worry about becoming a public speaker. You don't have to worry about, oh, well, but God is calling me to be an evangelist to hundreds of thousands of people. Well, I would say, like, if you you cannot talk in front of people, not saying that it doesn't always happen, because Paul, you know, he said that there are people that made fun of him saying, like, this person, Paul, like, he writes all these bold letters, but when he actually speaks in front of people, he's trembling, he's a terrible speaker. So God uses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. But if you don't find, like, this is your passion, you don't find, like, you're seeing any success in it, perhaps that's not God's call. So these are just practical things, okay? Number four, what does your world need? What is the need in the world? Because, you see, when God's calling you to do something, it's for his kingdom His glory, but it's also for man's good. So, do you find yourself in a place where you can contribute something to other people? You see, God never calls you to yourself, He never calls you to a platform where you're just raised up at the cost of other people. Anytime God calls you, it's to minister to other people. So, maybe you see a need in the youth group and you're like, wow, these graphics are terrible. Or, wow, That sound guy back there. I'm kidding. Do you see a need? Nothing against Benji. You do a great job. If you see a need, perhaps you noticing that need might be the you might be the person to fill it. Number five, what doors are open in your life? That one's kind of self-explanatory. But do you see an open door for ministry? Maybe you can go through that door. Maybe you can go. Uh, to a Bible club in your public school. Maybe you can go and evangelize. Is there an opportunity that you can take? Number six, what is God blessing? What is God blessing? Do you see fruit in what you're doing? When you sit down with, with one of your brothers and you're just, you, you encourage them with a Bible verse, you send them a text message, do people reply saying, you just sent me that verse at the exact moment I needed it. And by you sending that to me, that's confirmation that I need to do something, whatever. Perhaps that is God's blessing for you to continue doing those things. If you see God blessing and using you in a special way, perhaps you should continue it. Number seven is very, very important. What are people who know you saying? It's very important to, to kind of gauge, and this is why we kind of have youth leaders here, to kind of be a, a sounding board for you. So if you feel like, oh, I think I'm called to be a pastor— Think of like I'm called to be a worship leader. What do you think? Allow other people to tell you, you know what, I think that's. I think you hit the mark because I could totally see that in your life. Allow other people to kind of mention what you're good at and what you're bad at. So let them be a sounding board. Eighthly and finally, what is a spirit stirring in your heart? What is a spirit stirring in your heart? So... I mentioned this before, but when I used to do um, shows, what would happen is I would, there there are a couple of times where I was in Pennsylvania or I went to New York or something. We went pretty much local, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York at the most. And when we played these shows, I would always try to talk to everybody in the audience. Because a lot of bands, what they do is they show up, they go to the green room, they only hang out with their friends or behind the merch table. They don't talk to anybody. They play and they leave but I wanted to be a guy that connected with every single person. That was kind of our social media strategy too. Back when MySpace was around, goodness gracious. Just so you know, um, it was not always a thing where people just got thousands of friends, thousands of followers, thousands of likes out of nowhere. So back when MySpace was kind of pretty new still, especially for bands, I found a strategy of connecting with different, uh, different people that actually became fans of our music. So I, I kind of developed this strategy, and I don't want to bore you with it, but basically, like, if we sounded like two, a mix of two different bands, I would find all the people that liked those two different bands, message them personally, and not just give, like, a robot message, but actually say something nice, say something encouraging to connect with those people. Well, that, no one was doing that back then at all. And because no one was doing it, we got up to 22,000 friends in only a little over a month and a half. 22,000 people that were connected to us. So with all those people connected, we started being able to sell some albums, not a lot of albums, but some albums to like places in Europe and throughout the United States. I actually still have this guy from like two years ago, 2013, this guy messaged me from like Atlanta. He's like, hey, you guys still playing? You guys are gonna come down sometime? I'm like, who are you? <laughs> like, I don't even know who you are. Just, you, st- you, you like our music and you still listen to it? Anyway. But when we would play these shows, I really wanted to be personal with these people. So um, there was nothing like for me talking to people that I knew were not believers, performing and having lyrics about Jesus. And in that moment, like it's very hard to describe, but it's almost like you feel like this is what you were meant to do. And this is what I was created for. And I would get that feeling when I was on stage and when I was sharing about Jesus with these, these kids. Um, there was actually a time when we went into a local mall in North Jersey and we were selling tickets. We we're a no name band selling tickets to random people. And we did. We'd sell a couple tickets to some people. And so some of these kids came out to our show. They stayed for the show. One of them got punched in the face because there's a moshing band that was, if you listen to hardcore music, there's a band um, involved with this hardcore moshing gang called FSU. And so they were. They just go around and try to kill everybody. And so they would, like, punch girls and knock them out and go to the hospital. Like, messed up stuff. So we knew they were going to be there, and they punched one of our fans in the face, and he was, like, bloody and stuff. And so we just hung out with him backstage and started evangelizing to him, you know. And um, that whole stuff, like, to me, that's, like, this is what I was made to do. And it just felt right. But little did I know that that particular thing – was youth ministry, and that's what I was called to do, evangelism. But that didn't mean that music had to be associated with it. And one day I had this thought, why do I have to sell tickets to people in order to preach the gospel to them? Why can't I just preach the gospel to people? You know, and when you eliminate that whole thing, because it's like, hey, buy tickets to my show and see me play, and when you see me play, then I'll tell you about Jesus. I can just tell people about Jesus. And so for you, I would ask, What is the one thing that you, do you ever get an experience where you kind of feel like I was made to do this? Maybe you haven't had that yet and that's okay, but be looking out for that opportunity and be looking out for that experience where you're like, you know what? I really feel like the spirit is stirring this in my heart. That being said, all to kind of close this, turn over to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. We're gonna talk about walking worthy of God's calling. After you've determined it, you're willing to submit to it. Now we need to walk worthy of it. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He continues on talking about Jesus and stuff. And I'll just pause there for a second. But walk worthy. Walk worthy of the call. In other words, do what is becoming of your calling. Live in such a way that fits with the high calling that God has on your life. You know, if I was out doing drugs or drinking, you think God would still call me into the ministry? Perhaps, but maybe I would have delayed it. Or maybe i miss it altogether. If I had not kept myself in some form holy before the Lord, you know, not saying I was perfect, but if I wasn't diligent in reading the Bible, how in the world would I have that door open in order to come here? So in the same way, it's important, it doesn't have to be pastoral ministry, but perhaps there's something that you are missing because you're involved in dumb stuff. Perhaps, and this is what I experienced in high school, because I was chasing girls way too much, I stopped playing basketball. I really did. I started messaging girls on hey, well, Instant Messenger, if you even know what that is. Does anyone know what that is? Okay, good, I'm not that old. I'm only 27. Good, I am still old. And I would spend so much time texting girls, calling girls, hanging out with girls, that I didn't spend time doing what I loved. I loved playing basketball, I stopped playing. I loved skateboarding, I stopped skating. All these things that were really near and dear to my heart, I gave up to pursue something that ultimately wasn't worth it. So in the same way, we need to walk worthy of that calling because you never know when God is going to open that door. And when he opens that door, you want to be prepared to walk through it. Does that make sense? Good. If you look at verse 11, it says that Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers... So here are the gifts that God gave the church. Apostles, teachers, evangelists, all these people. We are gifts to the church, but for what reason? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Listen, this is very important. I am not here to save people. I am here to equip you to do the work of the ministry and to edify you. Why come on a Friday night? Why be here when you could be any other place? And so that you could be equipped, you could be encouraged, and that you could be involved in the work of the ministry. If all I'm doing, if I'm the only person evangelizing, if I'm the only person sharing the gospel, and I'm sharing the gospel when you guys bring one person, two people, you know, we're, well, we might get a trickle of people get saved and hear about Jesus here and there. But how much better when you you can multiply that calling. So it's not just me, but you are equipped and you go out and you share your faith and you, you shine your light in the world. That's what you're meant to do. And it says in verse 13, "Till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about, with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitfulness, deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Okay, that was a huge paragraph. And if we're going to do it justice, we actually have to go verse by verse and dissect it. We can't do that because we don't have time. But I want you to focus in on one main point here, and that is this. Each and every one of you understand that you are all a part in the body of Christ arms, fingers, toes, legs, heart, liver, etc. Okay? My job as a pastor is to equip you to, to do the work of the ministry, but your job is as one of the parts of the body of Christ is to do what God is calling you to do. Look in verse 16 again. From whom the whole body, joint and knit together by what every joint supplies, you as a joint, you supply what you're supposed to supply according to not your own power, but to the effective working by which every part does its share. So you do your work, you do your share. Look what it does. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Okay, think about this. If it be the case that the youth group is not growing, not just in number, but in depth, spiritually. If you're not becoming spiritual leaders, you're not growing in the knowledge of God, you're not growing in grace, and we're not growing in size because people aren't hearing about God, It might not be because I'm not doing my share. It could be because you're not doing your share. If you don't do what God is calling you to do, you could actually stunt the growth of the entire church. We need each and every part of the body to do its share, to grow into maturity, so that you're not tossed to and fro by doctrine that's not of God. So you don't go out into the world and you hear this Jehovah's Witness say, hey, by the way, Did you know that Jesus really isn't God? You're like, oh, man, that sounds true. Good, here I go. I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I'm not going to celebrate birthdays or Christmas. Not to make fun of them, but that's true. But you want to be equipped so that you can go and do the work of the ministry. So you can say, hey, man, I've been changed by Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins. And I know where I'm going if I die today. Would you like to know him too? And when you're able to do that, That causes people to be changed. There's nothing more exciting than seeing a person's life change forever. And you get to do that. Not just me. It's not like God loves me so much that he he lets me see all the people get saved and grow. He wants you to be a part of that too. And that doesn't have to happen with you preaching. It doesn't have to happen even with you just evangelizing. It could happen by you simply knowing what God is calling you to do today. It could happen through your art, through through your work. It could happen through your academics. It could happen at your job. God needs all different kinds of people in the body of Christ to do their share. He needs people that are school teachers. He needs people that are nurses. There is actually a person that came to our church this, this week because there was a nurse treating her family who was in the hospital because there was a murder. Who came to this church? We need all kinds of people to be in this church to hear the word of God. And we need all different kinds of people to be doing their share and doing their part so that the whole body grows together in love. So, that being said, determine your call. Ask yourself tonight, God, what are you calling me to do? To be a light in my school. What does that look like? What does that look like in the future, in five years, in ten years? Because it may not be what you think, but it will definitely be what God wills. I'll close with this illustration. Uh, at the gas station, since we're talking about the gas station today. At the gas station, um, I remember this old man drives in with this old Buick boxy. It was probably from the 80s, like most cars that I love. And he drove in. You know one of those like, old man cars that you, it smells like mothballs? It's just like one of those cars. Drives in. And he's kind of like on the shoulder. And I walk over and I'm like, what's the matter? And he's like, my car's not moving. Like, your car's not moving? You just drove in here. He's like, it's not working. I can't get it started. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? He's like, well, can you check it out? I'm like, sure, but let's, let's at least push it over here out of the way of traffic. So he's like, okay, what do you want me to do? And I was like, all right, well, um, get in your car and steer it and I'll get me and my friend and we'll just push. He's so, like, okay. Guy hobbles into his car. I'm like, alright. I start pushing. He's holding the brake. And I'm just like, okay, you gotta like either take it out of park or let off the brake. You know, I'm just like trying and trying. i pushing. He's not letting off the brake. Finally he lets off the brake and then he starts driving. He drives away. <laughs> I was just like, what in the world just happened? He like didn't say goodbye. He just drove off into the highway and just left. It's like, what a crazy old man. So, He obviously did not have a problem. He thought he had a problem, but all he had to do was get in the car and drive. So what does that have to do with you this evening? Maybe a lot of you are trying to figure out where you are supposed to be going in life, but you feel stuck. But all you have to do is walk in the truth, walk in the light, do your part, do your share, and ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Is there something stunning my, my growth? Is it because I'm not reading the Bible? Is there something wrong? Or is it simply because I haven't obeyed what you've already called me to do? And allow him to speak to your heart, speak to your life. Maybe ask a leader how you can find that out. But most of us, sometimes, we need to just pay attention to the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Love this. Act like men. Be strong and let all that you do be done in love. You focus on loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and he'll show you what to do. And can I just say that as men, we need to be leaders. There's too many girls out there, and it's not just in youth group. In the church at large, it's mostly always uh, dominated by women. So many women that are coming to church without their husbands. There's a lot of fathers that aren't in the picture anymore. There's a lot of men that aren't stepping up and doing what God is calling them to do. And we need godly men to stop fiddling around with these things they shouldn't be fiddling around. Stop drinking. Stop looking at things they shouldn't be looking at. And to say, I want to obey the Lord and obey his calling and step into that.